Good morning, Boker Tov. May it be a good morning and a Boker Tov for Klal Yisrael. It should be a day that we hear Besodos Tovos, Yeshuas Venachamos. Please God, hostages should come home. Our soldiers should return to their families with a sweeping victory. Incredibly grateful to our generous Parsha series sponsors, Becky and Avi Katz and family, in memory of David Grossman, in memory of Becky's father, David Ben Menachem Monash. This morning is also sponsored anonymously as a Mazel Tov to Meira and Daniel. Yasayev on the birth and bris of Yehuda Alexander, Mazel Tov, you should give you a lot of nachas, and by Mrs. Naomi Belazan, in memory of her beloved mother, Sophie Mander, and Hashama should have an aliyah. It's also dedicated for a refuah shlema chaya, Ya'el Shoshana, Baschana Freda, she should have a complete speedy refuah shlema. Everyone's invited to please remain afterwards to complete all of Sefer Tehillim in honor of Achenu Kolbeis Yisrael, our brothers and sisters in Israel. Just before we begin, we're about to dive into the Parsha, page 484, Parsha's Kisisa. Raise your hand if you enjoy the Parsha Perspectives class. Come on. Why are you here? If you don't enjoy it, why in the world are you here? I mean, the coffee's good. It's not that good. So you enjoy the Parsha Perspectives here. Raise your hand. Would you like more people to be able to watch and listen and read and enjoy the Parsha Perspectives here? Raise your hand. If you're doing something about that to help us reach more people, raise your hand. If you haven't raised your hand, then please join the BRS Global Campaign. We are in week number two. We finish as soon as we hit our number. Help us get there. In all seriousness, if you're a member of BRS, you are more than doing your part. If you're not a member, but you come here or you watch or you listen or you tune in, you enjoy, you're growing, you're being inspired, please, please, please show your gratitude, do your part, help us. We want to reach more people. We want to offer more Torah. We want to provide more growth and learning opportunities, but we need your help. BRSonline.org slash global. BRSonline.org slash global. Jeffrey and Talia are here. They're happy to walk around while we're still learning to get your credit card for $180. You get a ticket to a raffle, two plane tickets to Florida for a Shabbos here in Boca and BRS with us and two VIP tickets to Yishai Rebo concert April 7th at BRS. It is a bargain 180 is a bargain that barely covers the coffee and granola bars that you've had to drink in. Page 484, Parshas Kisisa. Hashem spoke to Moshe. Our Parsha begins, of course, famously with the census of the Jewish people. When you take a census of the Jew- Jewish people, according to their numbers, every person gives kofar nafsho, an atonement for their soul when counting them, so that there will not be a plague brought upon them. What is it we give? The way our census is taken is there's not somebody who knocks on the door with a clipboard and he asks you for the information or fill out the form. The census was taken by asking everybody to come and to give a shekel, to give a half a shekel. And then the half shekels would be counted and you'd know the population. That is the terribly inefficient way that the census was done. And this machatz shekel, the half shekel, which ultimately would fund the korban sibor, the communal sacrifice, was called shekel akodesh. The shekel, the donation, the money was called holy. Esrim gera shekel machatz shekel trumal Hashem. The shekel is twenty gera, half a shekel is a portion to Hashem. And then the Torah continues. The wealthy can't give more. The global campaign, there is no limit. You could give whatever you want. But the machatzis shekel was limited. The machatzis shekel was a half shekel. Some grace of kanakar, some gvir came along, flew in on his private plane, 
decked with his charcuterie boards and champagne, wearing his Rolex watch and dripping with his custom-made suit. And he said, half a shekel, poshness, do you know who I am? I'm going to give a billion shekel. You know what the, you know the Bishamikdash said? Keep your billion shekel. Half a shekel. Half a shekel. Everybody. Hashir lo yarbeh. Doesn't matter who you are, how wealthy you are, nobody can give more. And let's say someone comes and says, I have nothing. I can't pay my rent. I don't know how I'm putting food on the table. I don't have a half a shekel to give. Hadal lo yamit. There is no excuse. The poor person, the indigent, the impoverished can't give less than a half. Because this is a kapara. This is somehow an atonement for one's, for one's life. We take it, and so on and so forth. Let's get started with a... We'll start with the Lavos, Rav Druk. We'll start with Rav Druk. Says Rashi, Why can't we take an ordinary census? Why can't we, when we want to make a minion, why can't we say one, two, three? Why do we have to do this peculiar Jewish counting? Not one, not two, not three. Anyone over here, you're at Disney, you're making the minion for Yeshiva week, and someone walking by over here as you count, not one, not two. They look at you like you just landed from Mars. That's how you count, not one, not two. We have psukim that have ten words in them, so we use a verse with ten words, because we're doing whatever we can to avoid counting with a number. Why? Rashi tells us. Because anything that's given a number is subject to ayinhara, the evil eye. If you count, that's why there are those who won't tell you how many grandchildren they have. They won't tell you how many great-grandchildren that they have. They're afraid. If I reveal the number, ayinhara. Many have no problem with it. Hashem himself talks about the number. And in fact, he counts over and over again because of chiba, his love and affection. When you share a number, you're revealing what you have love and affection for. So there's different opinions on that. So Rashi quotes, the census is taken indirectly. We don't give the direct number because we don't want an ayin hara. So how is it taken? Not by counting one, two, three, four, but rather half shekel. Everyone gives a half shekel. Says Rav Druk Mavur, B'pasak Shema, Yemonim is B'nei Yisrael Ba'atzmam. Ha'isa ba'a ma'gefa b'nei Yisrael a'yidei she'pokedim osam. If we would count outright, we would invite and welcome a plague. V'lakach tziva, you know, I never understood a plague. Baruch Hashem in my lifetime, a plague. Every time we talk about a plague and we'll welcome a plague, it'll bring a plague, what it's like to survive a plague, what you're going to do to... We live through a plague, we understand now. Don't count each individual, but rather count the coins, and then we'll know the total. But why? Why would counting the number, why would that lead to a plague? And if, in fact, we are worthy of a plague, if God determines that that generation or those people deserve a plague being brought on their house, then what? No, 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 no. God, we used a half shekel. We said not one, not two, not three. Now no plague. And Hashem says, true. They said not one, not two, not three. So therefore, I guess I have to hold back the plague. How does that work? Rashi says, no, no. What's bringing the plague is the evil eye by using a number. Avoid using the number, and therefore you will dispel the evil eye, and there you won't, you won't deserve the plague. That's Rashi. But Rabbeinu Bachaya has a different interpretation. Says Rav Druk, quoting Rabbeinu Bachaya. Why does using a number bring a plague? 
When you count people individually, When I say one, two, three, each person has their own number, each person counts independently and separately, each one is an entity and a unit on their own, now I invite God to look at each person isolated from the other. Hashem says, oh, you're number one? Bring me number one's file. Number three? Bring me the file on number three. Let me see, let me check. Are they worthy? Should I protect them? Should I take care of them? But there is no perfect person. We never want God to look at us alone. Because our file on our own, He's going to see where we come up short, our mistakes, our poor judgment, our indiscretions. So the strict sense of justice will kick in and... God says, bring me file on number three. Oh, you're counting them separately, independently? Each person is their own unit? Okay, let me judge and evaluate each person on their own. And when God looks at and judges and evaluates each of us on our own, who can withstand? When justice will kick in and will measure who we could be and where we are, what we could be giving to tzedakah and what we really give, what we could be volunteering and how much we volunteer, how much Torah we could be learning and how much we learn. When it looks at our browser history, when God looks at our bank account, so therefore, a play could be visited because, not because of some ayin hara, that's Rashi. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says a different reason. Because when we're judged separately and apart, none of us are really fully worthy. When judge, judgment and justice kicks in, we're in trouble. So what's the way around it? If we want a census and want to know how many there are and want to avoid being looked at and judged separately, what's the way around it? We use a half shekel. What's a half shekel? It says, God, I'm not a unit on my own. I'm just a half. It's only when I connect to the community. It's only when I care about my neighbor. It's only when I combine with those around me. Only then am I whole. If you think you're whole on your own, you are grossly incomplete and broken. And when you realize that on your own you're incomplete and broken, only then are you whole. Only then are you whole. And what is the machatz shekel used for? The carbon of the tzibor the sacrifice of the community. So therefore, how was the census taken? How was that money collected? Only when we give a half. It's terribly inefficient. I hate math. I'm not good at math. It's not complex math when everyone gives a half shekel to figure out how many people there are. It's easy math. I'm still not good at it. So it's a terribly inefficient way to do a census. If everybody does one, so then you know how many you have. Why give a half? So it says Rav Druk quoting Gerbena Bechaya because it's not about the number. It's about avoiding looking like we think we've arrived. We're a unit on our own. We're complete. We're independent. It's realizing we're simply a half. And that's why everyone gives half a shekel, not a full. Because if you think you're going to be isolated and alone, you think the war in Israel is someone else's problem, and the anti-Semitism and whatever other community, that's their problem. And the global campaign, the Torah being taught out of Boca, let them pay for it. They cover the rabbi's salary. Someone else's problem. You think you're alone. You think it's not your problem. You think that your fortune, your destiny, your fate, you're good to go. No. Machtza shekel. Each of us are a half. We have to see and care about the other. We have to be one unit. A group of halves who only are whole when we unite and combine and collaborate and connect with the people around us. 
We are not alone. I spoke at a Sheva Brachas last night and I quoted essentially this idea and that's why, that's why Hashem did not create Adam and Chava. I'll give you a little bonus Sheva Brachas Torah right now. God did not create Adam and Eve to begin with. He knew ultimately he was going to create two genders. Is it safe to say that here? Two genders. He knew he was going to create male and female. Why not do that from the beginning, from the start? Why create one androgynous figure that was both and then split them in two? Take Chava from Adam's rib, which if you look in the Medrash Rabbah, really means they were one unit, one figure, and Hashem divided them in two. Why do it that way? Again, it's inefficient. He's God, he's omnipotent, he's infinite, he's the Almighty. He knows ultimately they're going to be two. You know what the answer is? Because if he would have created Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve separately, when they came together to get married, it would have been one plus one equals two. But by creating them as one and dividing them in half, then we spend our lives as a half looking for the person who completes us. That's our line, you complete me. That comes from us. Standing under the chuppah, the feeling should be, and it should only grow from there, you complete me. I was only a half, and only with you do I become a whole. Machatzis shekel. That's true for, hopefully, the person we find, our soulmate, our, our bashert, that we are completed by, and we complete, and we build a life together. But it's really true for any two Jews. We're a machatzis shekel. And it's only when we're connected to community, when we care about community, when we collaborate with community, that we're whole. And that's the idea, says Rav Druk, of Tzfilah B'Tzibur. When a group, when a unit come together to daven, some people still say, they don't realize this part of Corona also is over. Then a rabbi daven at home, I sing L'Chadodi with my kids, I have the most beautiful davening, I don't want to or need to come to shul, I concentrate better when I'm at home. Yeah, but when you daven at home... God says, okay, you're the whole davening? Get me her file. Bring me his file. Let me check it out. Let me see if what they're asking for they deserve. Let me see what they're worthy of. But when you come to shul and you come to a tzibur, and barovam hadras melech, you don't go to some living room or driveway or come together just with a few, but you come to the shul, the Beis HaKnesses, the gathering place, and barovam hadras melech, and the shul is packed with hundreds of people. And now all of us combine to present Hashem with the perfect fila, the perfect prayer. And Hashem looks down and He says, I don't know, each of you alone and apart, you're really not deserving. But I look at all of you together in combination, and I'm in love. Hashem says, you, my children, have come together, the combination of all of you, oh, how could I say no? How could I say no? So who wouldn't daven tefillah b'tzibur? That's why the Gemara Chazal, our rabbis tell us, that when you daven tefillah b'tzibur, it's nishma'as, Hashem receives it. It's more likely to be received positively, favorably, because we're not alone. It's not just our file. He's looking at us as a whole. That's carbon Sibor. That's Tfilah Bit Sibor. That's Machatzis Shekel. That's Machatzis Shekel. And that's why Ashilo Yabev Adalo Yamit. The rich can't give more. The poor can't give less. All of us, all of us contribute. All of us are part. Nobody's greater. Nobody's less. Nobody's more distinguished. Nobody's less distinguished. We are all together and we are all united in this, in this way. We have to all contribute and we have to all be part of it. The Rach Meshrifka, the Amar Astaros also quotes the Kedushas Levi, who sees this a little bit differently. Who see, actually, let's go back to Rav Druk first. We'll do one more of Druk and then the Kedushas Levi. One more of Druk. On the Pasuk, Zayit Nu. This is how you give. Zayit Nu. This is how you give. Rashi says, Hashem showed Moshe a coin on fire. He said, this coin, its weight is a half shekel. Give it like this. Rashi says, Moshe didn't know. Half shekel? 
They didn't have that currency. What does that look like? What's that about? So Hashem had to show him. He minted a coin that was on fire. He showed him the image of a coin on fire. As Chazal say, Moshe is kasha basiyas menorah. Just like when it came to the menorah, Moshe didn't know how do you make this candelabra. So Hashem gave it to him. He delivered it to him in one piece, made out of one solid block of gold. And says Rav Druk, Why was it hard for Moshe to picture the half shekel that Hashem had to show him a half shekel that was on fire? That which it was hard for Hashem, the menorah. We know why, because the menorah was very complicated, had detail, fine detail, and it was fashioned out of one block of gold. So that was complicated. That was very difficult. Moshe didn't know where to begin. But a half shekel? What's the big deal about a half shekel? What's the big deal about a half shekel? And why did Hashem show him this half shekel on fire? What is it about being on fire? In the past, we've studied that money is fire. Why is money synonymous with fire? Is fire good or bad? Yes. Both. Fire, if it's used for energy, if it's used to illuminate for light, if it's used for warmth and heat, it's good. But fire, if it's not carefully protected and carefully used, fire can spread and destroy, obliterate. Money, good or bad, it depends. It can be used as a resource, as fuel for good, like to promote Torah, brsonline.org slash global. Or fire can destroy. Money can destroy. People become corrupt. I'm going to keep doing it until we hit our budget. Money can become corrupt. Money corrupts people. Money destroys. Money clouds judgment. Money distorts. So that's why. But Rav Druk has a different, that was our interpretation. Rav Druk has a different one. The machtza shekel. Why not the shekel shalem? Because Baruch Hu says the following. He says, because every mitzvah is made up of two parts. Listen to this beautiful, beautiful vort. Says Rav Druk, every mitzvah is made up of two parts. It's made up of the physical part, the material part. It's made up of what we do. But there's also what we bring to it. Where is our mind, our mindfulness, our mindset, our personality, our attitude, our approach? So the machatzah shekel, giving half shekel, that was part of it. Giving it on fire, that was the other part. You could give the machatzah shekel begrudgingly, difficult, like you're given a kidney, like you're given an organ. You could give a half shekel, like you're miserable, you're fabissana, you're upset, it's difficult, they have to ask you 50 times, they have to mention it every shear, they have to send you 30 emails. You give the half shekel in the end, but you give it with a sad, mean face and a cold hand. Or you could give it, ish. could be on fire. There's an opportunity to give, to do, to impact, to partner. I'm in. Amen. And says Rav Druk, that's true for every mitzvah that we do. Every mitzvah, there's the half of the mitzvah, which is blow the shofar, shake the lulav, sit in the sukkah, wear the tefillin, light the Shabbos candles. And then there's, are you on fire? There's the davening. Did you turn the pages of the sitter? Did you flip the booklets of the, of the tehillim? But were you on fire? On fire? Are we living dispassionate, disaffected, cold, withdrawn, lukewarm, just going the motions of life? Or are we on fire? Is there an energy to our Yiddishkeit, to our Judaism, to our Judaism? Shulchan Aruch records this. Hilchot Staka, the code of Jewish law. Shulchan Aruch Yerodeasim and Reish Memtes. Tzarech litein at Staka, besever panam yafos. Shulchan Aruch records, don't just give Staka. Don't just give Staka. There's a knock on the door, the person outside the shul, the organization, Israel, that still so badly needs all of our help. Don't just give it. Give it besever panam yafos with a smile. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. If someone knocked on your door and said, I have an investment opportunity, I'm guaranteeing you and promising you an incredible return. Would you be, fine, I guess, okay. 
You say, thank you so much. Really? Guaranteed return this amount? And you came to me? And you invited me? And you're letting me? Is there a greater return than staka? The ROI, the return on investment of staka that you get? What we hold on to, we can't take with us. What we gave away, we have forever. When we invest and we achieve immortality in this world and the next, eternity, because we're shaping and molding and redeeming this world, when we make a difference and we bring ideas and values and impact the world, so the reaction to the opportunity to give tzedakah is b'sefer panam yafos. Thank you. I'm so grateful. I'm so honored. I'm so appreciative to be able to have this investment. You invite the poor person in. Can I give you a drink? Tell me about your problems. Let me connect to you as a real person. And if you give with a sad, withdrawn, miserable, negative face, then even though you gave stucca, you don't get the mitzvah. You lost the merit. Because the merit's not only giving, it's how you give. And that's the word. Isn't that beautiful? The machz is a shekel. Half of this is the mitzvah. The other half is eish, be on fire. That's true for tzedakah in particular. Don't give begrudgingly. Don't give miserably. Don't make people grovel and beg when they're trying to do good things and not putting it in their pocket. Give besever panam yafos. Give with joy and a smile and a full heart. Give on fire. Half of the mitzvah, the machz shekel, is give. The other half is give and the manner that you give, give on fire. Rav Druk elaborates here, but I want to move on. The Rachma Shifka, the Amaras Tahoros, also comments on this and comes from a different perspective. Very interesting, very beautiful, a different perspective. And he says the following. He quotes the Kedushas Lever, Levi Yitzchak Berdichev, Kisisa, Sarosh B'nei Yisrael, when you count. The word Kisisa doesn't really mean to count. What does it mean? Sisa, what does it mean? To lift, to lift. How do you lift somebody? By making them feel they count. When someone feels they're insignificant, inconsequential, they don't matter, they don't make a difference, then they don't feel very good about themselves. How do you lift someone's spirits? By making them feel that they count, acknowledging them. Kisisa, lift their head. How? Each person gives kofar nafshel bifkodosam. Says the Kedushas Levi, the following. If there's a person going through a difficult time, a hard time, struggles and challenges, and you want to dive into Hashem to be spared, the answer, one's going through a hard time, someone's desperate to be married, someone's desperate to have a child, somebody has an illness, they're desperate to recover. The matzav, all of us are desperate to win this war and to have peace and serenity for hostages to be brought home. What's the formula? What's the winning liturgy? The text? The formula? Don't make it about you. Make it about God. Hashem, if I'm alone in this world, I can only accomplish so much, but if you help me find my mate, if I could be married, the home I could build, the difference I could make, so don't do it for me. Do it for you. Hashem, if I had a child, if we could conceive what I could teach them, what I could pass on to them, how I could empower them, the path I can set them on, don't do it for me. Do it for you. Hashem, someone I know or somebody sick, if you make them better, you give them back their health, you understand their impact, what they mean to the community. So don't make it about selfish and self-centered and our needs. Couch it in the context of Hashem. It's about Kvod Shemayim. It's about your honor, your glory, your mission, your agenda. 
Your agenda. When a Jew, when one of, you know, they're saying we're only as happy as our least happy child. When our child is upset or struggling, we're struggling, we're upset, we can't sleep. Hashem is our father. He's only as happy as his least happy child. He has a lot of children. So when we say, you can explain Hashem's misery that He's unhappy with us in two ways. Number one, He's our Father, we're His children. So when a child is miserable, He's miserable. But the second way is, Everything that exists in this world, there is a godly energy that sustains it. If every human being is a distinct expression, manifestation of God in this world, everyone contains a piece of God. Well, if that person is compromised or struggling, then that expression of Hashem also doesn't find full expression. It, the, the, the Shechina is Hashem's presence, manifestation in this world is somewhat diminished. So we daven, make them better. Let them get married. Let them have a child. Let them recover. Let there be peace. Why? So you can fully be manifest in this world, God. Your expression can be in its fullness in this world, God. I know your Bitsara with us. Your Bitsara with us. We spoke about this last week in Sitter Snippets. When we spoke about a Pasuk in the end of the long Tachanan that describes Hashem, when the Klal when the Jewish people are being attacked, you are taken hostage. The honor of Hashem is held hostage. As long as there are hostages in Gaza, Hashem is diminished in this world. Because the nations of the world look and they say, where is God? If they are His children, how come they're held hostage? How come they're so unfairly treated in the Hague and by the international community and around the world? Where's God? So the very end of Tachanan, I don't have the Siddur, the Pasuk in front of me. You can listen to the Siddur snippets. We're asking Hashem, therefore, send the hostages home not for us and the hostages alone, for you, for you. Because your name, your honor, your glory, your strength is diminished. It's hostage in this world itself. And that's what we're saying. This is what the Kedusha Slavery of Levi Yitzchak said. If you want to elevate and lift the prayers of the Jewish people to go higher and higher, when you come and want to daven for what's missing and to elevate it higher and higher, daven for the chisaron that Hashem has, that which Hashem is missing. So this philosophy, this attitude is embedded in this opening pasuk, says the Kedusha Slavi. When you turn to Hashem and daven, don't make it about me, but I want to, but I'm not happy, but I'm suffering, but please make it better, but make me happy. That, maybe, maybe not. But when you say, Hashem, it's not about me. I have a mission, I have a purpose, and I want to work for you, but I can't get it done if I'm not well, if I don't have the resources I need, can't get it done if I'm missing critical components. So all of our davening, all of our davening we transform to be about Kvot Shemayim, and that is embedded in this opening Pasuk. The Orach Lechayim and the Avodah Yisrael have another interpretation. What does it mean? What does it mean? We'll, we'll get past the opening section with this. We said the rich can't give too much. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how much you have. We don't care. You can't give. You can't give too much. It's a very powerful image. It's a very powerful image because you would have said it's kind of foolish. It's mistaken. 
I understand why the poor can't get away without giving anything. Everyone has to be counted. 100% participation in the Kol Nidre campaign, whatever everybody says. I understand. Every, give a dollar, give what you can. Everybody has to be counted. Ha'ashir lo yarbeh, but the wealthy can't give more? That is the worst campaign of all time. So let me be clear. The global campaign, the capital campaign, there is no campaign at BRS that is a maximum. I invite you all. So why? Says the Tefer Shmuel and others. Because when it comes to this campaign, which is all about community, collaboration, connection, coming together, everyone is equal. And we don't want anyone feeling they're the balabayas. It's my base measure, it's my show. I built the school, I built the thing. I, no, we all contributed, we all contributed evenly. And when it comes to these carbonos, we're all doing it. And that's the simple understanding. Financially, nobody should be able to say, Psst, big shot, I'm the gvir. I made it happen. I'm the balabayas. It's mine. You know the golden rule? Everyone know the golden rule? The golden rule is whoever has the gold makes the rules. That's generally considered the golden rule. And unfortunately, sadly in life, all too often in life, that's generally the rule. So the whole machza shekel, the korban sibor, was designed that there's no golden rule. He who has the gold doesn't make the rules because he couldn't give more because everyone gives the same. But Darach Lachaim, the Avodah Yisrael, quoted by the Rachma Shifka and the Amaras Tahoros, interprets it a little bit differently. For the sake of time, I won't read it to you inside, but very beautifully he decides, Ashir and Dal, wealth and poor, don't only have to do with money. They could also have to do with mitzvos. We have the righteous, and we have the less than righteous. We have a person who's at tzaddik, at tzaddikus, and we have those who are not reaching on that level. So when it comes to the machetz shekel, when it comes to community and coming together, nobody gives more, nobody gives less, we're all equal. And the whole notion of the machetzis the whole idea of the Machatz is the Gemara and Kedushan says, A person should always look at their own life and think, I'm half worthy and half unworthy. And if I do one more worthy thing, I'm going to tip the scale. My whole life is a scale of, I've done a lot of good things, done some not such good things. We're equal. The next decision I make, my next act, the next behavior I exhibit is going to tip the scale one direction or the other. That's a very healthy way to live. It's a very motivating way to live. When a person appreciates the significance of the very next act, the very next moment, it could tip the scale in either direction. Hopefully it'll motivate, incentivize to tip the scale the right way. So that's machatzis hashekel. The scale is even, and my next act will tip it in one direction or another. And in this attitude, ha'ashir lo yarbeh, v'hadal lo yamit. Nobody is the righteous the person who's the more knows no more Torah or Davin's along Shmona Esrei or volunteers for more Chesed, Lo Yarbe is no better. The Hadal Lo Yamit is also equally important that there's nobody unworthy. It doesn't matter where you are, if you're a beginner, if you're just starting, it doesn't matter what stage or age of life, it doesn't matter how observant, not observant you are. Hadalo, everyone has a place. When it comes to the seaboard, the community, there's a place for everybody. So they redefine and retranslate so beautifully. I wish I had time to read it to you inside. They redefine and retranslate it as not just financially, Ashir and Dal, but also when it comes to righteousness. Hey, Ashir, the righteous and the Dal, the unrighteous, everyone is equal. The Machatzis, we should all see it as our next act is going to tip the scale for the whole community. It matters. We matter. It makes, it makes a big difference. Perak Laman Alf, Pasuk Beis. Turn the page. Now then the, the Torah gives us the Kior we've studied in the past. You could listen if you want. The kior, the laver, where the washing was done, came from the mirrors. Moshe didn't want to accept them. Hashem said, accept them. What was going on in that conversation? Then we have the Shem and Amishka, the anointment oil, how it was made, the ingredients, 
how they were anointed and elevated. And then we get to the incense, which was, uh, which was made. The Rambam says the purpose of the incense was essentially popery. The Besamikdash, the Mishkan, from morning to night was filled with slaughtering animals, sprinkling the blood of the animals, burning the fats and limbs of the animals, barbecuing the animals. Eventually, sitting out in the sun, those animals could produce a pretty horrible odor. How was it offset? Says the Rambam, that's why we have the Ketoris, the incense. Potpourri, positive smell, a plug-in, whatever hotel you wanted, the Ritz-Carlton smell, the five, four seasons, five seasons, how many seasons? There are four seasons. The four seasons. What are, you know what I'm talking about? The cartridge thing, you can plug in. Anyway, so they had that in the Bishka, in the Beis HaMikdash, it was called the Ketoris, and it offset. The other Rishonim go to town on the Rambam. That's the Rambam Lashitasa. The Rambam often explains rationally, we have this because of that, we have this. The others, no, 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 that's not what it's for whatsoever, the Ketoris. The Ketoris is how we appease the Almighty. The Reach Nichawach, we produce this pleasant fragrance. What God smells? God has a sense of smell? What's the Ketoris all about? God has a sense of smell? That's where we can appease Him through the Ketoris? When God gets angry, how do we describe it? Charon Af, which means Charon is heat. Af is the nose, the nostrils. You know, the cartoons depict that the person who gets so angry, there's steam coming out of their nostrils. Where do you get that from? The Torah, God. Charon Af, the depiction of God getting angry is steam coming out of his nostrils. And in our parsha later, the Chayta Egel, Jewish people make a horrific, egregious mistake of building the Egel, the calf. And Moshe says, God forgive them. And he invokes the formula that Hashem says, I can't help but forgive when you say those words. They include, Erech Apayim. What do the words Erech Apayim mean? Apayim again means nose, nostrils. Erech means elongated. Hashem, expand, flare your nostrils. Have an elongated nostril. Why is God's anger described as heated nostrils and His patience and his being forgiving is described as having elongated nostrils. And somehow we can get into those nostrils of God through the ketoras, through this incense that's described in our parsha. What's going on? How did God create us? Vayipach biapav nishmas Go back to the book of Genesis, precious. The way God created man is described as God breathed a piece of his soul into ours through what? Our nostrils. The godly soul in us comes through the nostrils. So when we want to remind God, we're imperfect, we're fallible, we're a work in progress, we're doing our best, we're coming along, believe in us, and give us another chance, where do we go? He gets angry in his nostrils because he says, I gave you a piece of me. I gave you a tzelem elokim. Every human being is made up of two parts. The nefesh bahami, the animal impulse, the animal impulse, the animal instinct, we want to eat like an animal, live like an animal, act like an animal. But we also have a godly soul at Selim Elohim. We have the divine inside us. And the divine is all about self-control, the capacity to regulate ourselves, to be disciplined. So when we're undisciplined and we indulge that animal instinct, that animal soul, that animal impulse, God's nostrils flare. God's nostrils get heated. He gets angry because he says, what did I give a piece of me into you? You're neglecting the Selim Elohim that came from my nostrils to yours. But when we say, Erech believe in us, we're imperfect, we're coming along, we're a work in progress, give us another chance. What we're saying is, have expanded, extended nostrils, be patient, believe in us. The Ketoras had in the ingredients here on page 488, the Chelbana, 
the chelben, the galbanum, I have no idea what that is, but apparently it smells terrible. And the ketoris is incomplete if offered without it. And our rabbis derive from here that any community that doesn't have the posha Yisrael, the Jew- Jewish community, listen carefully, a Jewish community that doesn't make room and doesn't make space and doesn't invite those who are imperfect, those who disappoint us, those we disagree with, those who come up short, those who are leading lives that are not consistent with what God wants, is an incomplete community. The Ketoris, the ingredients of the Ketoris are the ingredients of the Jewish people. And there has to be room and space for everyone, including the Chalbana, including the Posha Yisrael, including those who act inappropriately, incorrectly. Because what we're saying to Hashem is all of us have that piece of us. All of us, to a degree, are Posha Yisrael. And why should God be patient and forgiving? Why should the Ketoris work to bring a Reach Nichawach to Him to forgive us if we can't make a space and room for them with us? There's a lot more to say on the Ketoras, but that is the Ketoras, page 488. But moving along. We're back to speaking about the architect of the Mishkan. Who was the architect of the Mishkan? What's his name? Betzalel. Ben Uri, Ben Chur, from the tribe of Yehuda. God says, I filled him with a godly spirit. He's a great architect. He's a great designer. What does he need? Chachma. You know why he's a great architect? Because he's a Chabadniker. He's Lubavitcher. I'm not making that up. That's what the Pasuk says. Chachma, Bina, Das. Chabad. Chabad is Chachma, Bina, and Das. Balatanya. Uvachol Malacha. Betzala. What, he was walking around the Mishkan putting tefillin on people? What is Chachma, Bina, and Das? The three types of knowledge. We've discussed this in the past as well. We're not going to revisit it now. Chachma, Bina, Das, we don't have synonyms in the Torah. Three words all mean knowledge. There are three types of knowledge. There's abstract, the capacity to analyze and deduce. There's how to, how to actually manifest it in practice. There are three types of knowledge, Chachma, Bina, and Das, and that's the basis of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe. As much as people think that Chabad or Chasidus is about Fabrengans and Lachaims, which it is too, at its core, it's about learning. It's knowledge. It's intellectual. Chacham, Bina, and Das. And that's what Betzalel had. And Hashem turns to Moshe and he tells him, check it out. Give a kick. Give a look. Check it out. What's he giving a look at? How do you see knowledge? What is he seeing in Betzalel? The Tefer Shmuel, the new volume is still not out, but I get the newsletter, so thank them for that. And at least it's enough for me to mark up and share and share together with you. So Shmuel Berenbaum, who we're learning this year. Ma kavana re'ei. Ma yeshlo liros. Hashem says to Moshe, give a look, Re'ei, look at B'tzalah ben Uri ben Chor Lamata Yehuda, who is the architect of the Mishkan, Va'amalayos, and I filled him with Chachma bin and Das. What do you mean, look? And if, if Hashem told B'tzalah, go to it, I filled you with all the knowledges that you need, all the knowledge you need, get to it, build the Mishkan. What does Moshe have to look? It's a tzivoy, it's a commandment of God, get to work. And what does it mean? Shigam Moshe Abinu Amalek Ru. Then Moshe turns to Klai and he says, "Go look, look at Betzalel. What are they looking at so much?" Yeshlamar says of Shmuel Ben Abam. Listen carefully. He says it's in the name of Rav Moshe Feinstein. Why was Betzalel chosen to be the architect of the Mishkan, to be the general contractor of the Mishkan? Ben. How old was he? Gemara Sanhedrin Samach Tes tells us. 13 years old. 
Imagine, you saw the fencing around, Mirza Shem, we're, we're going forward. Imagine we find a 13-year-old, we say he's going to present to the community meeting, he's our head of our committee, our architect, he's running the, uh, the project, the construction, 13-year-old, because Hashem filled him even at 13 with Chachma, Bina, and Das, with endless measure. What Hashem really endowed him with, what He gave him, was unlimited talent and skill to get this done. And means look, means see, believe, know. You can't compare seeing to hearing. Seeing is believing. Go check out Patsala. You're not going to believe it. Go see what a genius. Go see how creative. Go see how competent. Go see how thorough. Go see how spiritual. Go see how connected. Because when you see him, and when you meet him, and when you learn about him, you will know immediately that he was made for this. When you see him, you will realize this is his tafkid. This is his mission. This is what he was made for. Hashem wanted Moshe and then the Jewish people to see with their own eyes. Now you'll know why. You didn't just get an email and named him as the chair of the Mishkan committee. Go, go, go see him in action. Go speak to him. Go learn about him. Because when you do, you'll understand he was made for this. This is the talent. This is what he has. We believe everyone of us was created for a particular purpose and a mission. We're here on this earth to make a difference. We're not here to accumulate the most things. We're not here even to get the most experiences. We're here to make the biggest difference. It's not about what we can get out of this world. It's what we can give to this world. It's how the Ramchal begins his Mesidus Hasharim. The gift called life is not about rights and entitlements. Well, God, you made me a member, a citizen here of this globe. No, what do I get? What are my rights and entitlements? No, what's coming? I'm a member of the Biras Global Community. What do I get? What do I get for it? No. The question is not, what do I get? The question is, what can I give? The question is not, does Hashem take care of my needs? It's, what does Hashem need me for? How am I needed? How am I needed? Every human being was created for a particular purpose and mission. To fulfill the reason. We weren't put in this world just to enjoy. Nothing wrong with also enjoying. But it's not about the wine collection or the car collection or the trips and the vacations or the portfolio. It's about what can we do with all those things. Our skills, our time, our energy, our health, our wealth. How are we impacting the world? What are we building? What are we transforming? What difference are we making? How are we repairing? How are we redeeming? How am I bringing my unique skills? Every one of us is unique. Each one is our own expression of Hashem in this world. The world is incomplete without us. And when we will be gone, the world will be missing something terribly. And while we are here, what do we do with it? And that's the re'eh. Go look at B'tzalel, because when you do, you'll have no doubt this is what he was made for. And everyone needs to look into themselves to see, and what am I made for? Why am I here? What are my skills and talents? And how can I use them? What difference can I make with them? Continuing. Hashem interrupts the building of the Mishkan to give us the mitzvah of Shabbos. 
There are 13 parallels between Shabbos and Mishkan. We're learning them together now and turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. Every Friday afternoon we spend 10 minutes getting ready for Shabbos together. I'm tempted. I love Shabbos. I live for Shabbos. And so I'm tempted to tell you all the beautiful Divrei Torah about Shabbos here. But we spend so much time on these such passages on Friday afternoons. You're all invited to join us. Turn Friday into Erev Shabbos. You could find all the old ones online. You could start from the beginning. We're at 100 and maybe 200. I don't even know what we're, number we're up to. So here the Pasuk says, Ach, Ach is a limit. tishmaru. Observe my, translate the word Shabsosai. My Shabbos is, in the plural. Why didn't God say, observe my Shabbos? Why does he say it in the plural? The Ksav HaKabalar, Yaakov C. Mecklenburg says, in every Shabbos there are two Shabboses. What are the two Shabboses? The positive and the negative. There are the 39 acts of creative labor I can't violate, the Lamates Malachos, the Shamor, but every Shabbos has the Zachor. What spirit, what energy. We spoke about it at the beginning, the Machta Shekel. What's the fire, the Bren? What energy do I bring to Shabbos? Is it just, I'm not writing, I'm not driving, I'm not turning on the TV, I'm not texting, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not separating, I'm not winnowing, I'm not threshing, I'm not cooking, I'm not baking, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. That's Shabbos? Sitting around miserable, looking at the clock, waiting for Shabbos to end, miserable about all the things that you can't do? Or is Shabbos also Zachor? Is it, is it Kiddush? Is it Lasso, says Shabbos? Are you making Shabbos, creating Shabbos, elevating Shabbos, enriching Shabbos, empowering Shabbos? Is there, are you on fire? Is it a Shabbos of fire? Are you on fire for Shabbos? So that's Shabbos Sosai. Every Shabbos has two Shabboses, Zachor and Shamor, the positive, the negative, the passive part of Shabbos, the part of Shabbos that happens, ready or not, here it comes. When Shabbos comes, Florida, we get an extra hour. If you're watching in New York, you know what I'm talking about. Ready or not, here it comes. That's one part of Shabbos. But the other part of Shabbos is not just the passive, here it comes, it's the positive. Let's make Shabbos. Let's create Shabbos. Let's make a Shabbos that will transform us, that will remember forever. Shabbos Osai too. That's why the Gemara says, Il malay shamru shabbasos miyad nigal. And if the Jewish people would only keep two Shabboses, immediately we'd be free. That's why Mordechai ben David sang, just one Shabbos, we'll all go free. Just one Shabbos, Mashiach will come. I, would, I thought it says two Shabboses. The answer is just one Shabbos that we observe both parts of it. Then Mashiach is going to come. Shabbos aside to Shmaru. Why should we do it? Ki osi. It is an os. It is a sign. How is it a sign? What is the os? Ki osi beni uveinechem. Osi. Rashi says, Ha'um mozba ki ani Hashem mekadashchem. To whom is it an os? Osi, it's a sign by Niyu This is why men don't wear tefillin on Shabbos. Ever wonder why we don't wear tefillin on Shabbos? There's nothing inherently mux about tefillin. It's leather with parchment. You can touch the mezuzah. We read from the Sefer Torah. What's the difference between tefillin and the Sefer Torah? The tefillin we don't wear on Shabbos, they're mukza. In the Sefer Torah we read, the mezuzah we kiss. And the answer is tefillin are an os. They're a sign of the special relationship. Bris mila is an os, is a sign, circumcision. And Shabbos. So you need two signs, two witnesses. So the bris is a permanent witness. The tefillin is the second witness. But Shabbos is a witness, I don't need tefillin. Osi. So for who is it a sign? Shabbos is a sign. When we observe and keep Shabbos, oh, it's a sign. We're making a statement. To whom are we making this statement? Zagdrashi ha'umos. To the nations of the world. Wonders of Shmuel Berenbaum. Why do we care if the non-Jews of the nations of the world know that we're Shomrei Shabbos, that we keep Shabbos? 
What's the difference? It's just awkward and weird at the hotel. Could you open my room for me? At the whatever, all the complications of being a Shomer Shabbos in the non-Jewish world. What do we need them to know? Why do we want them or need them to know? Why? Says the Tefer Shmuel Shmuel Berenbaum. Kevin why do we keep Shabbos? Because Hashem said so. Good. True. Why do we keep Shabbos? If you keep Shabbos, you testify that God is the creator of heaven and earth. Shabbos is every, what day? Seventh day. Do you know that travel the globe, not only civilized society, but also ancient tribes, how many days are there to their week? Seven. It's a peculiar number. It's not five, it's not ten. Why seven? Why does the whole world, including atheists and agnostics, keep a seven-day week? Everybody, universally. Where does that come from? It comes from us. Because when we observe Shabbos, we are testifying that God is the creator. The only way to arrive at a seven-day week is because he created for six days and rested on the seventh, and we're following in his footsteps. When we, make, when we keep Shabbos, it's edus. We say vayichulu with one other because we're giving edus, we're testifying testifying. So when we keep Shabbos, it's not keeping it to ourselves for ourselves. We are impacting the whole world through our observance of Shabbos because we're testifying. I'm so sorry, I'm not available. You know why? Because there's a creator. He created the whole world and everything in it, including you and your family and your business and your life. And because I'm acknowledging that creator, I surrender and I submit to him. Even though six days a week he told me to go conquer the world, one day a week I'm at peace with nature and the world, and therefore I'm unavailable. And our Shemir Shabbos, our observing Shabbos, and it's an Os Ben our sharing our observance of Shabbos, our being public and proclaiming our observance of Shabbos, doesn't only shape our society, it impacts the entire world. We introduce to the world... Now, other nations keep other days. Christians keep Sunday and Muslims keep Friday. But where did they get that from? The idea of a Sabbath. It comes from us. It's our contribution to the world. A technology Sabbath. There's a movement saying, take a day off a week from technology. The whole notion of a Sabbath and of a sabbatical, it comes from us. So the oath, this sign, this symbol, we're trying to teach and transform the world. And we're longing, we're looking forward, we're waiting for that Shabbos. We don't ever want Shabbos to end. And we can't wait for it to start again. All of these statements reflect our special relationship, our love, our longing, and the testimony that Shabbos is that impacts the whole world around us. This is our mission, our purpose. It's why we're here. It's why the Jewish people exist. Not to retreat and live on our own, but to mold and shape the world around us. The Torah and Yiddishkeit Judaism was not given just for the Jews. It was given to repair this world, to teach this world, teach this world moral and ethics, how to relate to time and space and people and relationships, how to relate to ourselves. And Shabbos has all of those components. And the Edus, the testimony that we give to God, the Os Beini Uveinechem, is for Shabbos. We had on our podcast several years ago, behind the Bima, Ben Brafman is a very accomplished lawyer, trial lawyer, and he told the story on Behind the Bima, but it's a story that's uh, very famous. He had a client who was a, a big rapper, Combs, 
I think P. Diddy is his nickname or name. And uh, he said the following. People think Combs is just a rapper. He's an industry. 600, he employs 600 people. He expected them to work not just during regular business hours, nights and weekends. He's used to getting what he wants. So Combs tells uh, Ben Brothman when he hires him to be his lawyer to get him off on some serious charge. First thing you got to do is give me all your numbers. You got to be available 24-7. So Brothman says 24-6. Combs says 24-7. Everyone who works for me is available 24-7. Listen, I just want to get this out of the way now because I'm the right guy for this case, but you got to understand. I observe Sabbath. Absent a real emergency, I won't answer the phone. Brothman explains that he had staff members in place who weren't Jews to handle emergencies. If an emergency came up, they could fax Brothman and would see it and decide whether it was worthy of taking action. Don't call me Friday night, he said to Combs. But that Friday night, the phone started to ring. And ring, and ring. Phone rings a thousand times, Brothman says. Most people would hang up after 50. Phone call was coming from a blocked number, no fax. So obviously it was an emergency. He didn't answer the phone. After Shabbos was over on Saturday night, Brothman calls Combs to confirm his suspicions. Were you trying to reach me Friday night? Yeah, says P. Diddy. Was it an emergency? No. Sorry I didn't answer the phone. Combs explained that was totally fine. Why? I won 10 grand. I bet my homies you wouldn't pick up the phone, said a thrilled Combs. The year was 1999. Sean Puffy Combs had just been arrested for a weapons charge after gunfire broke out at a nightclub in Manhattan and so on and so forth. So he hired Brothman and he won that money because when Brothman said, I'm not answering the phone, you could call me as many times as you want, nothing's going to happen. And then he won $10,000 from his homies because he said, watch this. Doesn't matter who I am, no matter how many times I call, he won't answer the phone. What a kiddush Hashem. What a, I'm not talking about representing him, that's a different question, but what a kiddush, I'm not saying that's not a kiddush Hashem. I have no comment on it whatsoever. Maybe it's also a kiddush Hashem because you're defending justice and the system of justice, which is important. But, but not answering the phone, no matter who's calling, no matter how famous, no matter how big, no matter how wealthy, no matter their expectation or demands, what a kiddush Hashem. Osi beini ubeinechem. It's an os. To whom? Umos. To the nations of the world. To the rapper community and well beyond. Perek Lamed Aleph, Pasuk Tezayin. Shomer B'nai Yisrael Shabbos. We don't just keep Shabbos. V'shomer B'nai Yisrael Shabbos. You recognize these words? They're kiddush. Shabbos day. V'shomer B'nai Yisrael Shabbos. They're davening. Page top, top of page 492. We're not going to get into it even though I want to. V'shomru. What does it mean to be shomer? V'shomer b'nei Yisrael Shabbos. What does it mean to be a shomer Shabbos? More than the Jews have kept Shabbos, Shabbos has kept the Jews. What does it mean to be a shomer Shabbos? The word shomer means? Nope. Nope. V'aviv shamar es hadavar. It means to look forward to, to anticipate, to get excited about. V'shomer b'nei Yisrael Shabbos. Be a Shomer Shabbos. When are you a Shomer Shabbos? The Oiv Yisrael talks about this. Rav Druk talks about it in this week's parsha. When are you truly Shomer Shabbos? Not on Shabbos. But when Sunday is Yom Rishon Shabbos and Monday is Yom Sheni Shabbos and today, Tuesday, is Yom Shlishi Shabbos and each day you identify that day is one day to Shabbos, two day to Shabbos, three. It's not Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. When your life revolves around Shabbos, who are we having this Shabbos? What's the menu for Shabbos? What story will we tell on Shabbos? What games will we play on Shabbos? Shabbos, when a person all week is looking forward to Shabbos, then you're a Shomer Shabbos. If you don't think about Shabbos all week until 10 minutes before candlelighting Friday, no matter how well you observe Shabbos, you're not a Shomer Shabbos. V'aviv shamar es we see that word shamar being used always as to look forward, to anticipate, to long for, to look forward to. 
That's what it means to be a Shomer Shabbos. Five more minutes and 15 more Divrei Torah. Okay. Paraklam and Gimel Pasuk Dalet. Let's go. A little bit further in the parasha. Lamed Gimel Dalet. Chayta Egel. Moshe does not come back from the mountain. He was supposed to be down after 40 days, 40 nights. Does not return based on their miscalculation. What happens? Panic. Panic ensues. And Aaron, in an attempt to buy some time, even participates in building the eagle, the Cheta eagle, the golden calf. They abandon God just after the greatest revelation in all of history. And they build this golden calf and they worship it. They dance around it. And then God says, I've had enough. This incorrigible people, they're impossible. They cheated on me on our wedding night. I'm out. Moshe says, give him another chance. Give him another chance. By the way, part of his argument is give them another chance. Why? I'm Orifu. They're stubborn, stiff-necked, obstinate people. God says, I want to destroy them because they're I'm Orif. Why would Moshe use the very argument God used to destroy them as the argument to defend them? He's spoken about that in the past too. But God ultimately acquiesces. He gives in. He's appeased. And he, and he does forgive them. So the Torah here describes, So go ascend from here, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. I promised their forefathers, I'd give them this land. And the people heard, Pasuk Dalad. God says this, See, God calls them stiff-necked. Moshe calls them stiff-necked. Listen to the past, what we said about that. The people heard this terrible news. And they mourned, made themselves into mourners. And, and, uh, and no one put on their jewelry. And Hashem said, I, I could destroy you in an instant. I want to destroy you in an instant. What is this word? What is this word? So I want to read to you from Rav Soloveitchik. When the people heard the bad news, they mourned. Says Rav Soloveitchik, in the wake of sin comes a strong feeling of sorrow. The previous day they had engaged in a wild, joyous celebration around the calf, but now they felt the bitter sorrow of mourning. The consciousness of the sin reached them was expressed in the sorrow of mourning. This is not the only time that sin is referred to in terms of mourning. Same phenomenon, phenom, phenomenon recurs with the Chetam Raglam, the sin of the spies. Moshe related all the words to Bnei Yisrael, and the people mourned greatly. The Pasuk says in Bamidbar Perak Yudalad, Here also mourning follows sin. What is the sorrow of mourning? According to Allah, the laws of mourning apply when a person loses something important and precious. The loss of money and property is not a real loss. A real loss is the loss of a dear and beloved person. Mourning is a reaction to a loss, and it expresses itself in a strong sensation of nostalgia, of yearning, of retrospective memories. The power of mourning is cruelty and loneliness. It has its focal point in the memory of the human being. Were man able to forget, to eradicate events from memory, there'd be no need for mourning. The feeling of bereavement are dependent on memory, which is the greatest blessing of man qua man. Memory constitutes the entire awareness of the human eye. In times of mourning, however, this blessing becomes a curse. Who are we? And what are we? We are the composite of all of our memories. All of our relationships and all of our consciousness and all of our existence is our memories. Memory is a beautiful thing. When someone has dementia, Alzheimer's, memory loss, they physically may be fit and fine, but without their memories, who are they? 
Memory is the definition of who we are, and it's an amazing blessing. Amazing blessing. But memory can also be a curse. Memories float up from the past, and when the past comes to the surface, a man is forced to compare yesterday with today. He's engulfed by a feeling of bereavement and mourning. Over the course of many years, a man becomes accustomed to returning home from the outside affairs. He climbs the few steps before the front door of his house in the same way he's done for years. He rings the bell out of habit and expects to hear as always soft steps from the other side of the door. He waits, but the steps never come. He puts his hand in his pocket, pulls out the key, opens the door. It seems the same door, same furniture. Everything is clean and polished. Nevertheless, something has changed. Everything appears to be in exactly the same state in the same place in which the way they were before he left the house. Nothing has been moved, only no one is there waiting for him. All around there is peace and quiet, which can sometimes be worse than heart-rendering cries. Mourning engulfs his whole being. Who is Rav Soloveitchik describing? He's talking about his wife. He's talking about after the loss of his wife, how he would come home and everything looked the same and felt the same and was left the same, but was entirely different because she wasn't there. Rav Soloveitchik, the lonely man of faith, the halachic man, the great brisker, who we think of as this rational mind, had this heart which was broken with the loss of his wife. And he's describing what Avelis, what mourning is. It's the memory and the comparison of yesterday today of what's missing and not there. The sinner also mourns. What does the sinner mourn? He mourns that which he has irretrievably lost. What has he lost? Everything. The sinner has lost his purity, his holiness, his integrity, his spiritual wealth, the joy of life, the spirit of sanctity in man, all that gives meaning to life and, con- con- and content to human existence. Content to human existence. The mourner mourns the soul of the beloved one he has lost. The sinner, his own soul, which he has lost. So what's the connection? Vayis Abalu, they mourned. What are they mourning? What are they mourning? They're mourning who they could have been, who they should have been. They're mourning the decision they should have made. They're mourning the loss of that moment. There's a connection between chait, a mistake, and mourning, because in each moment of mourning is the realization, in each moment of, of, of focusing on a mistake that we've made, is the mourning of who we could have been. Mourning inevitably contains a masochistic element. The mourner tortures and torments himself. He hates himself. In the bereavement of sin, there's also a clear masochistic element. Sinner begins to sense a feeling of contempt and disgust towards himself, a masochistic self-hatred. The sin is an abomination, an object of revulsion, something utterly nauseating. The feeling generated by sin is not a moral sensation. The moral sense in man is not such a powerful feeling. The feeling of sin which drags a person to repentance is a sensation, corrected a, neg- a negative aesthetic reaction. The sinner feels disgust at the defilement of sin. Suffering of sin lies in the feeling of nausea toward the defiling, disgusting, and cleanliness of the sin. So it is only through the feeling of vayisabalu. It's when we are mourning, if you made a mistake, and this is what we don't have time for, but I wanted to see. After the Chayta Egel, they made macholos. They danced in a circle. And Rav Yisrael Salanter and Rav Moshe Mordechai Epstein, they both write, the sin of the Chayta Egel was not the bad judgment. We have bad judgment, we make mistakes. But what happens right afterwards? Do we sing and dance and celebrate the mistake? Do we have great memories and nostalgia? Remember the party? Remember that time we did that thing, went to that place, looked at that, watched that? Or vayisabalu. Or if a person is really regretful and remorseful, if a person really feels guilt and shame for what they did wrong, they're mourning the purity they lost. They're mourning the moment they can never get back. They're mourning the innocence that is lost. So the whole problem with the Chayta Egel, Perak Lamed Beis, Pasuk Yates, were the macholos, the circles, the dancing, the singing that they did afterwards. The bad judgment were human beings. 
we make mistakes, we sometimes have bad judgment. What's unforgivable is when you celebrate and sing and dance to those mistakes and have such nostalgia for it. The opposite, and what we should have felt, was not nostalgia and sing and dance and joy, but vayisabalo, to mourn, to grieve, to feel, I've lost my innocence. What have I done? What did I lose? Who could I have been? How can I get this time back? How can I make a different decision going forward? That's the connection between mourning loss of a person and mourning when it comes to sin. There was a lot more to talk about. Pick up next time. BeerUsOnline.org slash global. Please do not leave if you've not yet contributed to our campaign. If you're a member, you're doing your part. If you're not a member and you've given, you're doing your part. If you're coming, you're watching, you're listening, you're enjoying, but you're not helping, you're not doing your part, please stay for Tehillim beginning right now. Ben Grafman is my